Hey friends, listen, there's got to be a better way to find, support, develop the next generation of church leaders for your team. Where is the next you coming from? We've all been talking about this really since I graduated from college, which is a lifetime ago. I remember and still know what it's like to have enough time to do day-to-day ministry, all the things that are on your plate as an executive pastor or lead pastor, a person leading a department without chasing the leads and following up the resumes and onboarding people. And then on top of all that, if you really are having an eye to do that in the context of a developmental pipeline for Gen Z, listen, friends, this is where the good people over at Leadership Pathway come in. They have experienced in all of this and they've collectively interviewed thousands and thousands of ministry leaders to help them take their next step in ministry. They will help you launch a leadership residency. This is really what you should be doing, thinking two, three years down the road. So you'll have a whole group of young leaders ready, willing, and trained in your ministry. Really, this leadership residency will be custom fit to your organization. So hit up their website, leadershippathway.org forward slash unseminary. There's an interesting article there that you really should grab if you're looking for your next hire. Again, friends, leadershippathway.org forward slash unseminary. Where is the next you coming from? I firmly believe that's coming through a custom residency program that you should be launching soon. Leadershippathway.org forward slash unseminary today. Are you looking for practical ministry help to inform and inspire your leadership? Do you have a sinking feeling that your ministry training didn't prepare you for the real world? Hey, you're not alone. Join thousands of other leaders in pursuit of stuff you wish they taught in seminary. Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast, presented by CDF Capital, helping churches grow. Visit them at cdf.capital forward slash unseminary. Well, hey, everybody, welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. So glad that you have decided to tune in. You know, every week we try to bring you a leader who will both inspire and equip you. And today's no exception. Super excited to have Dr. Derry Long with us from the Yellowstone Theological Institute. Now, I know it's the Unseminary Podcast, but today we have like an actual like academic, someone who has actual bona fide you know, credentials. I just play an expert on the internet, but Derry actually is one. He has served for over 45 years in many different roles, pastor, church planner, pastoral coach, regional overseer, international teacher. He's served as a lead pastor in a number of churches for nearly 30 years in both metro and rural areas. Uh, his PhD is from the Uni- University of Birmingham uh, in England, He's and he's just a great guy. He's currently professor of Christian leadership at Yellowstone, like I said, at Theological Institute, and he came to us uh, uh, by recommendation of our friend Vern Streeter. Welcome to the show. So glad you're here, Derry. Thank you, Rich. It's good to be here. Yeah, thank you for taking time to be with us. Fill out the picture there. What did I miss uh, on the Derry story? What is it that you want people to make sure they know about you? Well, one of the first things I think is that uh, my uh, resume that you have so eloquently uh, expanded on uh, (laughs) really uh, displays a commitment to the church. Mm. Uh, I've actually been frustrated with the church. I grew up in the church. My mom was a Mm. high school superintendent, played piano for uh, worship. The church has been part of my life. But at 55, I stopped being a pastor. I resigned. Mm. I thought, this is not working right. Mm. I, I don't I don't like how it functions. <laughs> and I moved to England, got involved in a PhD uh, project where I began to study 
how to create and sustain empowering social environments. Hmm. And uh, that renewed my vision and really, for me, got me back in touch with how the New Testament pictures the, the church um, hmm. all along. So uh, I guess I, I just add that. Yeah. Love it. Well, we're, we love the church here at on seminary. You know, I've joked in other com- contexts that like, I'm like a church leadership wonk. I, we're 600 episodes in on this thing. I could talk to church leaders all day long and really want to try to, to help them. And so I'm, uh, you know, you're going to be just such a great addition. I'm so glad you're here. You, you have an interesting vantage point because not only because of your background, because of your work, that your engagement in a lot of different contexts, and so I'm going to throw you like a giant open question. When you look at the church today, as you engage with leaders, what would be a couple of those maybe problems or pain points or things that you see coming up time and again with church leaders, with the leaders you maybe that you engage with or you're, you hear people that kind of are, are common that you you keep hearing, you know, you keep running into or hearing about? Well, there's a, there's a big complaint among church leaders, and that is that the... Uh, the people in church are too much spectators and too mm-hmm. much consumers. Mm-hmm. Um, but my view is that they are the product of our system. <laughs> you're putting a mirror and, back on us. You're saying, "Hey, yeah, we and, we created these people." <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I yeah yeah. I think these these are not people who don't aspire. Mm. But mm. we don't. We have not built on ramps, mm. and uh, we live by that. 20, 80, 20 principle of 20% of the people do 80% of the work. I thought that mm. that cannot be right. Right. That's not, that's not how that was meant to be. Well, is it that everybody's just lazy or they mm. don't care or they care about other things? And so when mm. we have low participation, then we, we criticize the people and we spiritualize it <laughs> instead of owning that we are not building the on-ramps that get them to the way they were created to be. Love it. Love it, doctor. You're coming in hot here. This is good. I love it. So, uh, you know, this whole idea of low participation. uh, So this is, you are, you know, this is why I'm excited to have you on friends, friends that are listening in. You're going to be really blessed by today's conversation. I feel like you've tapped into a lot of church leaders, a lot of pastors conversations. They get together and you know, once they get beyond how big is your church and once they get beyond some of that initial stuff, you know, when you hear them complaining, it's like, oh, my people are just so lazy. They're so lazy. They don't, they don't want to engage. Um, and I love that your challenge here around, well, maybe the low participation is about us. What would, before we get to solutions, before we get to on-ramps, I do want to get there though. Let's talk about what would be some of those signs, those things that maybe we've done that actually is lowering expectations that's creating in our people this idea of like, just show up, you don't need to participate. That's, that's, that we're then ultimately reaping as we engage with folks. Well, I'd say two things. Number one, we, mm-hmm. we need to own that we're, we've, we've primarily produced a telling organization. Mm. People come and we tell, uh, they come and worship, worship in the morning. And most of it is one way communication, uh, teaching it. Often our leadership styles are telling. Uh, mm. so there's this, there's this one way communication, that seeps hmm. into almost every everything we do, mm-hmm. and uh, and that telling, that approach to that that telling approach actually creates passivity, mm. and it reduces a sense of uh, collaboration. Mm. The other is, uh, we we create almost a smorgasbord mentality 
come and mm. pick and choose. And we think the stuff we have on the menu is good enough that if you, you pick enough stuff, you'll just get healthy and you'll, you'll just serve. And in fact, mm. that, that simply does not work. Hmm. Um, so wow. pe- for so example, good. people will say, we want to be a friendly church, but if you say, um, what system do you have for your hospitality ministry? Mm-hmm. They, they don't have a system. Well, mm-hmm. we really need leaders. Well, tell me how you've designed your leadership pipeline. Mm-hmm. Well, they don't actually have a leadership pipeline. Mm-hmm. They're just hoping that there's enough good stuff on the menu that if people pick it, they'll end up getting the outcome they're hoping for. Yeah, that's interesting because I, you know, so been in ministry going on three decades. And I remember when I started, lots of churches would celebrate like, we have 112 ministries. Like they literally would say stuff like that. Like we've got, and it was, it was this idea of the smorgasbord. We'll come back to that. So let's talk about, so I I get the telling organization issue. I can see that. So, um, and I can even understand how that would create people who frankly, just sit around and listen then. So what's the, what should we, rather than being a telling organization, what should we be doing? What would that look like? How should we modify that? Well, I, I, I don't think the problem is, is the telling. The problem okay. is the execution. Mm, where, okay. Where's our on-ramp? How do we build mm-hmm. a bridge? If mm-hmm. we're, if we're telling them on a Sunday morning or in a class or in, mm-hmm. we're, we're inviting them to serve in some way, uh, mm-hmm. What's the bridge? And I began to study how to create, sustain, and sustain empowering social systems. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. to my surprise, uh, one of the people I started studying was John Wesley. Okay. Uh, in the 1700s, he began working with the a totally disenfranchised group, which were the working class of England. Mm. Uh, England was a very much a caste society. You were paralyzed and stuck wherever you were born. Uh, mm-hmm. That class was uneducated, irreligious. Uh, they had no time because of their work schedules. They were poor. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they had no mobility. They had, and and yet he created a movement mm-hmm. that was so powerful that when he died, other than royalty, he was the most famous person in all of England. Mm-hmm. And he did it with people who had been called by the Church of England rabble. Mm-hmm. And, he created a very participatory um, ministry model. Okay, let's talk about that. What is so on ramps creating a participatory model? What does that look like? I, we all would love to have the impact of John Wesley, but uh, when we look at our context, how do we? What does that look like for us? Well, let's go back to uh, so when I, when I began to study this, mm-hmm. what I studied was what empowers people. And empowerment is simply the ability and the opportunity to act to the benefit of something righteous. Mm. The ability and the opportunity to act to the benefit of something Mm. righteous. God's Mm. purposes, my own well-being, my family. Mm. And uh, I found that there are four things that empower people. Two are intrinsic and two are extrinsic. One is choice. Mm -hmm. So. God, from the beginning, he tells Adam and Eve, now, uh, I want you to name the animals. Hmm. We don't have any record of a review system <laughs> when they did that. <laughs> I don't right. like zebra. I don't yeah. like zebra. Let's mm. find something else for that one. You know. Mm, yeah. And uh, so uh, a new manager of a large shopping mall gathered his janitorial staff together, mm-hmm. and he asked them, 
Um, tell me about your job. Like, for example, when you're shampooing all the rugs and stuff here in the mall, um, who decides how to buy the, uh, the detergents for those uh, shampoos? Mm-hmm. Well, he says it's always been decided in the office and they, they just order it. Mm-hmm. Well, the manager says, don't, don't you know better than anybody else which shampoo, hmm. which shampoo ingredients clog up the machine, require more maintenance? He says, of course we do, but nobody ever asks. Hmm. Well, that seems minuscule. But within the sphere of their responsibility, mm. that manager began to give them choice. And mm-hmm. choice is an empowering, and you find it mm-hmm. all through scripture. The second is competence. Mm-hmm. And uh, competence is, uh, you know, he that's faithful in a little, you'll become ruler over much. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants to be good at something. And not, not just that, everybody's actually wired to be good at something. Mm-hmm. And that, so those are extrinsic, but the intrinsic ones are meaning and meaning means if nobody else saw it, when I'm doing this, I know I was meant to do this. Mm, There's an internal it. sense of connection between what I'm doing. I mean, mm-hmm. when my wife goes down and works at base camp in the children's ministry, uh, she was one of 12, 11 children. Uh, she was the oldest daughter. She grew up around kids. She understands kids. When she's mm-hmm. doing that, she mm-hmm. knows she's mm-hmm. doing something she was meant to do. Mm-hmm. But the fourth is significance. Mm. I need to know what I'm doing matters. Mm. It has some impact. Then, hmm. and everybody plays to an audience. Yeah, I once yeah, yeah. visited with an elderly man who was the hardest working man I ever met, mm-hmm. and uh, I was a, a terrific pastor. And but I always wondered it at the level of his work level. And mm-hmm. uh, we were driving along one day, and he said, "You know, my dad told me I'd never amount to anything." Hmm. And I hmm. thought, all this, all this, all this time in his life, he's still talking to that audience, that right. audience of one, his father, mm-hmm. showing him that he he and he had amounted to something. Mm-hmm. And so, choice, competence, meaning, and significance. If if Love I'm it. empowered, I'm I'm experiencing those four things, yeah, and I'm only that. empowered if I think I'm empowered. Love that. Yeah, that's oh, there's so much here. You've just like unloaded so much. I want to pick apart there and understand. Help us uh, go over again, kind of pull apart meaning and significance again. I I, I feel like I am maybe missing the difference between those two, uh, and it's probably just me. It's definitely just me. I'm I'm being slow, but work through. Uh, how how would you differentiate that inside? You know, the the mind of people who are in working with. So meaning is an internal sense that what I'm doing fits how I was designed. Okay. Okay. Right. Great. Significance is what I am doing is making an impact in my external world. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I remember years ago I was at a church, you know, one of these name brand churches that, you know, lots of people look up to and they, uh, you know, super charismatic, uh, not in the like spiritual gifts category, but just in the attractional kind of, you know, lead pastor who, you know, you know, one of those world famous in our little world in church, in church world. And I got to spend a week there at just hanging out with people, like not with leaders, just with normal people. And the thing that blew me away, I was in a conversation a couple days in with a guy who was a camera operator. So volunteer camera operator on Sundays. And he said to me, he said, you know, the, the two hours I get to do this every weekend, I come alive. I, this is like, man, I just love this. I feel like this is the most alive I've ever been. Yep. 
Yep. And and we have the opportunity to do that. Now, on when we think about the or the churches you run into, when you think about kind of low-hanging fruit on these four, the areas that you find that we're stumbling most on when it comes to engagement, which of these four, or is there a combo of these four that you feel like we're, that you commonly are seeing with that churches are not doing a great job, uh, you know, in helping their people be empowered? Well, I, I think to start with, they're, we're not looking at people from this angle. Okay. Right. Not even thinking about it. Yeah. 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 We're not, we're not coming to them and thinking now when I'm relating, when I'm trying to recruit for base camp or our our children's ministry, Mm -hmm. uh, they're, you know, am I thinking from this angle? Mm -hmm. If the the person who's leading base camp, when they're, when they're helping their teachers and their volunteers and uh, where are they giving them choice? Hmm. How are they building competence into their life? How do they find out if the people that are serving have a sense of meaning? So those good. people are doing it simply because there's a need and those people who are doing it because they know they were meant to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, in what ways does that person, when they're doing it, know that other people know mm-hmm. that they're not, mm-hmm. not only know that they're doing it, but that mm-hmm. it's making a difference in somebody's life? Right. How as a leader do I make sure that they have that sense of significance? Mm-hmm. Where's that communication line? Mm-hmm. Love it. So help me tackle a problem that I see in so many of our churches, maybe using this framework or helping us kind of wrestle through this. I feel like sometimes even in my own church, um, there's a giant gap in our uh, the way we position volunteer roles. We would have like, I would call them shallow end of the pool kind of roles. Like you can, you know, be a... Um, an usher, you can greet people. You know, we used to hand out programs. We don't do that anymore because COVID and all that. But you know, like there's, there's like you know, and they're they're great roles because I love that's those roles because they're they they are easy on ramps for people. They're like you know, you can show up basically one week and then next week we can say, hey, great, stand here at this door and be nice to people. But then there seems like there's a giant gap in particularly when it comes to meaning and significance, then it's like either those, and obviously I'm using hyperbole here. It's like you either do one of those shallow end of the role, or it's like you're discipling people or you're like, uh, you know, an elder, like you're like responsible for the entire thing. How do we create roles or opportunities that, that are kind of across along the spectrum that kind of ramp up? Do do you get the problem I'm, I'm describing? Sure. Uh, to start with, I'd, I'd say one of the, we have to create a culture where every role has a significance and we communicate that significance. Like right. for example, uh, I go to journey church here in Bozeman. They run, mm-hmm. I don't know, they run about 1500. Uh, mm-hmm. but my volunteer role is, uh, I, I, I stand at the connect table afterwards. And if there are new people and they have questions, then, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's a, it's, it's, uh, it's down there with the uh, ushers and the handshakers and, and, (laughs) uh, but, but those roles help people who are unfamiliar in an unfamiliar place Mm -hmm. to, to find out information in a non-threatening way. Right. Right. And so you start communicating to the people who work, work that every role matters. Mm -hmm. Uh, the second Mm -hmm. is not every role has the same level of responsibility. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if I'm working with people in hospitality and the connect table, I'm also looking for, again, he that's faithful in the little, I'll make ruler mm-hmm. all much. Who who seems to exhibit 
understanding and skill beyond the role they're presently in. Mm, mm -hmm. And I look for that. Mm -hmm. You know, do I see right. someone that, boy, they, they seem to go the extra mile. They seem to have more understanding about how we're functioning than mm -hmm. would really be required of them. Mm -hmm. uh, do I, and, and, but I've, I've got to be looking for it. I have mm -hmm. to have eyes for that. Mm -hmm. I have to see as a leader, if I'm head of that department, that part of my responsibility is, is finding those people, mm -hmm. looking for those people and giving them the next opportunity. Love it. Okay. So one of the earlier, one of the things you talked about was um, this smorgasbord mentality, this idea that one of the things that can hold us back is we, is we just have, it's non-connected, a series of things. We basically say, here's the menu, you figure it out. Um, one one of the things I think can create that, or I've seen created in the church, is um, we say to people, like, "Hey, if if you've got an interest in an area and you've got passion in that area, um, we want to empower you to like go and start that ministry." And I, that's how I think many of these. When well, I don't think I know, that's how many of these churches ended up with a hundred plus ministries because it's like they, people, they were, they, they saw a need and they just said, well, let's start something to, to meet that need. How do we, how do we fit these things together? How do we create a empowering environment where people feel they do feel meaning in what they're doing because they're maybe leading in an area that feels like it's made for them. It has significance and that, wow, it's pushing the mission forward, but it doesn't just add to a, you know, a giant smorgasbord uh, buffet of, you know, hey, there's a, a gajillion different things to do as a church. How do we, how do we reconcile the tension of those? Or am I not thinking about that correctly? No, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, mm -hmm. Well, first, every organization needs to know what it's about. Mm -hmm. So there may be people who have skill, a skill base or a passion mm -hmm. that is valid, but it, it doesn't fit here mm -hmm. or it mm -hmm. doesn't fit here at this time. Right. And leaders have to make, have to make that kind of call of, uh, right. you know, does it fit here? Right. Uh, the second right. is the, the, an organization, if you use Collins, good to great, mm -hmm. uh, he uses this phrase. Uh, he, he, he means it in a secular sense, but I'm going to use it in a sense for the church. He mm -hmm. says, every organization must know its economic engines. Yeah. Yep, yep. In other words, I might do 50 things, but there's only four or five things that are actually producing disciples. The other right. things may be good ministries, but I don't get to do those if I don't mm. do these four or five things well. Mm -hmm. And and a leadership has to know what are the economic engines of this organization? Yep. What produces disciples? What generates donors? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What, what brings people in the doors? Mm -hmm, what mm -hmm. connects people to the community? What are, what are the economic engines? So uh, mm -hmm. in the, I used to, uh, when I was going to college, I worked at a grocery store. And grocery stores, uh, there's permission to play. Like if you go into a grocery store, they got to sell some things because they're a grocery mm -hmm. store. Mm -hmm. they, they make no profit off, off it. They, you know, they break mm -hmm. even. But mm -hmm. that's permission to play. If you're going to play in that arena, you got to have that product. But they have certain departments where their their profit margins are in those departments, mm -hmm. which means they have to make sure they make profit in those departments, because that that takes care of all the other departments. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I have to make sure that as people, I'm working with people that I have arenas of ministry connected to the economic engine of the church mm -hmm. that are meaningful. And that I can't always meet every need yeah, for a ministry that. that a person has. 
Yeah, I love that. You know, I know for sure, you know, that resonates with just even a personal lesson. The longer I'm in leadership, I realize it is more about talking about less things, focusing down, saying no to more things. You know, how do we focus? How do we provide more energy to using sticking with Collins on the flywheel? How do we get more of our energy onto that? Um, it's amazing how much that book all these years later still, you know, has huge impact. I literally was just listening to a conversation with senior, senior leaders, like literally guys that report to Jeff Bezos at, uh, Amazon that were, were talking about their hedgehog concept and their flywheel. They're like, Hey, we keep thinking about that. We keep coming back to, and that's Mm -hmm. like, you know, a giant organization, right? That's, that's asking that question. How do we pare down? How do we stay focused? How do we, you know, add energy? When you think about that side of it, kind of the focus side of it, the how do I as a leader um, add energy to those areas that are going to ultimately be more empowering, that are going to get more people engaged? Uh, Any thoughts on that or things we should be wrestling through as we, uh, you know, try to help people define, you know, how they should get engaged? Well, there's a there's an interesting uh, thing that often happens in academic research. You mm-hmm. start researching something and you find that somebody's already found it out. So when I went to England, I, I was researching what empowers people only to find out we already knew what empowered people. Mm-hmm. These four things that I just mentioned, they'd already mm-hmm. been discovered. Gretchen uh, Spritzer from University mm-hmm. of Michigan, others, mm-hmm. they, they had already. So then I began to ask, well, if we know what empowers people, then why are so few organizations able to do it? Right. So I started studying what what characteristics must be present within a culture in order for a person hmm. to function in an empowered way. That's a good question. And that that research, and my theory was that was based on the Imago Dei created in the image of God. Mm. So that would be true whether it was a church a mm-hmm. nonprofit or a business, mm-hmm. because all people are created in God's image. So I began to actually do case studies on businesses, churches, and nonprofits. And I found that those different arenas use the exact same language hmm. when they talked about being empowered. And there were four traits that were part that were present in a culture where people could function in an empowered way. And the first was voice. In fact, that was the single biggest discovery of all the research I did. And voice isn't just asking, well, Rich, what do you think? Mm. Voice is treating someone like they're present. Mm. Like if they weren't at the table, they'd be missed. Right. Like they are a key component of the structure of who we are. Mm-hmm. And the, 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 the sense of an employee that they're just treated like they don't even exist is so devastating that Almost no employee can stay in an organization where they're treated as as someone who doesn't have voice. Yeah, as um, a cog, nobody wants that feeling, right? Nobody no, likes no, the feeling of no, like no. you know. The yeah. uh, the second is support, and support is not an attaboy, you know, mm-hmm. kind of a slap on the back. Support mm-hmm. is where I understand your reality, and I'm a, I'm addressing you through your reality. It was mm-hmm. amazing to me how many people that what they're really dealing with the both the leaders or others simply don't 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 know what they're dealing with hmm. in in their day-to-day responsibilities hmm. um, the third was modeling and modeling is uh, simply where the leader the leader's behavior 
is in line with the leader's rhetoric. Mm. And um, mm. I found a, I found an organization that said they had never seen an improvement program work. <laughs> and and so I, I read more about that. And here's what would happen. The leader would go to way to some conference, and oh. then they'd come back with a three-ring binder, and, hey, I got a plan. And then they'd have a meeting. Yes. But the people in the organization knew that that was only going to last as long until the leader went to another conference. Yes. And so they had this, they had this, uh, they developed this pattern. We'll hear them out and then we'll wait them out because yeah, they yeah, knew yeah. it was just going to change. They're waiting for leaders who say, I'll die on this hill. Yes. Yes. So I wish that wasn't, I wish I couldn't think of examples of that. I wish that one was like, <laughs> that one is so common. Like I, and yeah. I feel that temptation, like, a, oh, you know, yeah. you're, you're like, man, this is the silver bullet. This is the thing. And yeah. scrap everything yeah. else we've talked about. Let's run with this. Yeah. that's, yeah. that's And, and, the, and that. the fourth is trust because empowerment brings choice and choice has risk. And so mm. if there's not an atmosphere of trust, then people won't operate in an empowered way. But it's not trust a trust attitude, it's trust behavior. Mm-hmm. And the difference is Jesus was giving the disciples responsibilities well before they were fully capable mm-hmm. of executing those responsibilities. He was showing trust behavior. He was showing a trust mm-hmm. behavior before trust attitude. And as yeah. voice, support, modeling, and trust exist, then a person can operate in those first four that we talked about, choice, competence, meaning, and significance. Mm, love it. This is so good. I, you, you know, one of the things you've been taught, you've said multiple times is this idea of create and sustain. So in some ways, um, like I can see the create side of this maybe easier. That's probably the not a very precise word. It's like, uh, getting this ball rolling is one thing, sustaining it over the ex- over a, an extended period of time, creating an empowering culture versus sustaining an empowering culture. I could see where there would be some, well, there's natural, all systems tend to wind down. When, when you kind of have thought about that side of it, kind of keeping this going, what should we be thinking about on that front when you think about kind of sustaining a, an empowering church culture? Well, the first four are are about how I'm empowered. Yes. But the second four are what sustains it. Okay, okay, okay. okay so about the, you go back to the idea of lag and lead measures. Yep, yep. So like instead of measuring attendance, I measure what is producing the attendance. Mm-hmm. And that becomes the primary measure. Mm-hmm. So attendance yep. is the is the lag measure. The lead measure is what's producing it. These four traits I just mentioned, these are actually the lead measures. Mm-hmm. And okay. that's the thing that enables me to sustain in the organization. And connected mm-hmm. with this are certain are certain um, um, leadership traits mm-hmm. that become sustaining issues. For example, uh, a leader, a leader who wants to have an empowering culture, so he wants to flip the 80-20 instead mm-hmm. of 20% doing 80% of the work, he wants 80% of the people working. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that leader has got to be a leader with a healthy ego. Mm. They can't mm. be a fragile, right. you know, temperamental, territorial. There's nothing right. that builds trust. That that doesn't build trust. Right. You got to have so the the leader has to have a healthy ego. They have to have a positive view of people. Right. You right. Know, I'm not I'm not trying to hurt a bunch of people who don't know know anything. These people aspire. My mm-hmm. job is to help them. 
in, mm-hmm. in that aspiration. They mm-hmm. have to measure their achievement through relational, a relational grid. Mm-hmm. Are they just task oriented or do relationships matter? Um, they got to see that micromanagement actually is the enemy of an empowered culture. Mm. Um, so, you know, I could go on, but yeah, it's the, so good. Those, those traits in the leader and then those four traits of the culture, they sustain the, the traits within an empowered person. Yeah. I love it. Well, this, I, you know, listen, I feel like we, well, it's like one of those we've, it's been both scratching the surface in that, gosh, there's probably so much more we could talk about, uh, but it's also been a fire hose. I've got pages and notes here of like, Ooh, stuff I've got to wrestle with. So I, I really appreciate this, Dr. Derry. Is there anything else there's tons we could talk about, but is there anything else you'd like to kind of for us to cover just as we wrap up today's episode? Yeah. One thing mm-hmm. people often think, when they think about empowerment, they think about delegation. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm going to empower Rich. Rich, here's here's a project. I'd like you to do it. Hey, my mm-hmm. door is open. If you need me, come get me. That's mm-hmm. about as far from empowerment as you could get. <laughs> One of the reasons people fail at empowerment is they don't own that it is a highly relational construct. Mm-hmm. It involves more relational connection, not less. Right. And right. so the emphasis has to be in relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got to keep working that side of it, right? We have to, it's yeah. not, I think that's a good caution for sure. Well, it, Terry, this has been fantastic, super encouraging conversation. And like I say, helpful and lots for us to chew on. Um, where, if people want to track with you or track with this thinking, if there's, you know, is there places we want to send them online? How, how can we have them kind of continue to track along with this? Um, I'm not sure the answer. You would like my, uh, my email address, you mean? Sure. Or? Yeah, that's great. If they yeah. want to reach well, out to you, what would that look like? Sure. Uh, DL mm-hmm. at YTHI, Yellowstone Theological Institute, YTHI.com. Perfect. Great. Well, Dr. Derry, I appreciate you being here. Thank you so much for the, for the help. This has been super enlightening. Lots for us to, to chew on and uh, yeah, appreciate for your, your help for today for our leaders. Hey, thank you very much, Rich. Thanks for tuning in to the Unseminary Podcast. Drop by unseminary.com for more helpful resources for you and your team. There you will find articles, online courses, and so much more. Unseminary, stuff you wish they taught in seminary. Presented by CDF Capital. Visit them at cdf.capital forward slash unseminary.